Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, we're going to be talking about what it means to be a faithful Catholic in the public square, including the voting booth, and how to evaluate political candidates, whether they're running for city council or running for president. Do they embrace their Catholic identity? And when they embrace their Catholic identity, I guess— uh, you know, shouldn't they be held to that standard? Are they and we obligated to believe, practice, and shape public policy based on all that the Catholic Church teaches? So today our special guest is Rusty Reno, editor of First Things Magazine. He was formerly a professor of theology and ethics at Creighton University. Uh, Rusty is also the author of several books, including Resurrecting the Idea of a Christian Society and Fighting the Noonday Devil. Rusty, thanks for being here today. Great to be on the show. Uh, before we dive in, maybe give us a little background on your faith journey, because uh, you're a convert to the Catholic Church, right? Yes, I was born and raised as an Episcopalian, and um, really, uh, interestingly, reading Karl Barth in college really kind of awakened in me, up, um, or it, it shifted me from a kind of blah um, faith to one that was more real and active, and I was very involved in the Episcopal Church, and um, really it, it, uh, I was unable, unable to persevere because of the wavering of the Episcopal Church on really kind of core questions of orthodoxy, and so I, I kind of collapsed into the Catholic Church in about 2004, um, put myself up for adoption, as I like to say, <laughs> as a Christian and in the Mother Church, um, and it's been better than I thought it would be. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm I'm a convert myself. I came in in '99, and uh, uh, best thing I ever did. I wasn't sure at the time, but it just felt like something I had to do. And so I, I kind of uh, in the same boat with you. And I think that's why when I'm ta- thinking about this topic, maybe it's because I'm not a cradle Catholic and I made the choice to come in. It really irritates me when any politician, I don't care what side you're on or whatever, proclaims to be a faithful Catholic and then doesn't adhere to any of the teachings. So, you know, you've been a practicing Catholic now since 04, which is basically 16 years. How has that informed your views and your writing on what it means to kind of be a faithful citizen, a faithful Catholic? You know, a lot of a lot of what the Church teaches about public affairs is really in the common stock of Christian wisdom. So, you know, the sanctity of life, I think, is something that obviously we share with um, evangelicals and 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 thoughtful um, Christians of all stripes, uh, but but I would say that um, Catholicism, at least in the modern era, has really been characterized by, um, you know, a a in, in this sense it, was, it shares with Judaism a a very strong uh, concern about the common good, and I think that that's a that's a distinctive mark of of uh, of a of a Catholic kind of political outlook. Yeah, so are practicing Catholics who are running for office or are already elected to office, are they obliged to believe everything the Church teaches on faith and morals? The, I mean, the Church lays down very—I mean, what uh, John Paul II in Veritatis Splendor called exceptionless uh, moral norms, things that we are never to do. As St. Paul says, do not do evil— that good might come, but that's a pretty small list of things um, that that 
that we're not to do. Um, so that gives a lot of scope in public life for practical, prudent judgment about what's best for the body politic. And so, you know, a, a Catholic politician or a Catholic voter could never in, vote for legislation or vote for a candidate in order to ensure the ready access to abortion. I mean, that would be a, a kind of blatant violation, not just what the church teaches, but, but of this, this basic moral truth. Um, but when it comes to other matters, like how do we address questions of immigration, or what is the best economic policy, or how do we best promote the interests of the poor and the most vulnerable in our society, there's a tremendous amount of scope for judgment. Yeah, and, uh, you know, back in 08, you know, the, when Archbishop uh, Charles Chaput was here, we had Bishop Connolly. They responded, and, you know, I don't want to pick on Biden, but, you know, he is running for president and claims to be a faithful Catholic. And they said, you know, comments on abortion in 2008, they were, they were writing that abortion is a foundational issue and it's always a grievous wrong. They added that in reality, modern biology knows exactly when human life begins and at the moment of conception. Religion has nothing to do with that. So it's a common sense. And, you know, the church has spoken out when politicians have decided to, um, you know, use the old, you know, the old Kennedy line that, you know, I personally believe it, but I don't want to impose this on other people. Uh, you know, how, how is that line still being bought today when we know the difference between right and wrong? I think it's being bought less and less, don't you? I mean, Biden's a good example. It's one thing to, to say that, I mean, you could be a Catholic politician and, you know, uh, you're a Democrat, and you could say that in American society, we should never pass laws that cannot be enforced. We cannot enforce laws against abortion, therefore we have to, we have to mitigate and limit it in other ways. Um, you, know, uh, I, you know, I think that's a position that, you know, from a casuistical perspective is actually consistent with Catholic teaching. Uh, but that's not what Biden says. He endorses uh, um, abortion as uh, a positive good for women. Uh, not neglecting the harm it does to <laughs> innocent life in the womb. And then he officiated at a gay marriage while he was vice president of the United States. Again, it's another thing, you know, we, 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 when we have po political figures, um, they have to figure out how to govern best in the society we have. And if we have a society that's morally disordered, then what's going then the people governing it have to, they have to make compromises. But, but, it's, and, and so that this is where you get a lot of room. There's a lot of room for a voter to make a judgment. I'll vote for this man in spite of the fact that his party represents things that I find repugnant. Um, but when the, when the candidate actually endorses the things that are repugnant to us morally, then it just, it's, it just seems impossible to me. We can't, we can't sign on to that. We can't put our votes behind that. And I think that's, the situation we're in. I think that's what uh, uh, Archbishops uh, Shepu and Bishop Conley were, were speaking to. Yeah, and that was, you know, back in 08, and things haven't gotten any better since then. Uh, what well, about, no, I yeah. think you have all those Democratic, during the primaries, uh, Democratic candidates all, you know, basically, after President Trump, you know, made these remarks about uh, banning uh, late-term abortions, they all lined up to endorse the most radical and extreme uh, 
pro-abortion positions. Very disheartening to me. Well, yeah, and I mean, not only abortion, but infanticide. I mean, we've kind of almost crossed the line to, you know what, it's, it's whenever yes. we think we need to be able to do this, that, that's when we're going to do it. So it's, it demoralized me. I was very disheartened by the fact that the Democratic Party is now, you know, really completely, uh, all the candidates have to pledge fealty to Planned Parenthood. Uh, I mean, so Dan Lipinski is the last pro-life Democrat left in the House of Representatives. And he just got voted out. I mean, he just lost his primary to... Uh, yes, right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, just recently. So, uh, yeah, I mean, and before people say, hey, you know, you're, you're picking political sides. No, we're not. We're talking moral, foundational issues. And I think it really, it becomes fair game, especially when a politician says that I'm a faithful Catholic and you should vote for me because of that. Then in the end, we have to look at what he says and what he does or she and and make a judgment. Mm-hmm. But what about social teachings of the church? Should, you know, we see, you know, it's almost cafeteria style. But if you're going to embrace the social teachings of the church, don't you have to embrace them all? You don't get to pick and choose, do you? Well, again, there are there are bright line issues, and then there then the church advises us on on these issues of prudential judgment. Um, I mean, John Paul II was, I think, very important on the question of capital punishment. I mean, he made the argument that although it's permitted morally, uh, and, and if necessary, in our modern societies, we, it's no longer necessary to execute people in order to ensure um, a regime of, ju- of, of justice. And uh, and I think that that's I think that's I agree with that. Um, but that's a that's an overall judgment. But in a situation of social disorder and the imposition of martial law, et cetera, et cetera, you know, then, you know, uh, our political leaders may have to may have to judge otherwise. Well, and so I think I think we in these kinds of matters, the Catholic voter and the Catholic politician is obliged to to give due and serious consideration to the church's uh, wisdom on these matters. But the circumstances in which we find ourselves are always are always different. Whereas there's never a circumstance where it's permissible to kill an innocent person. Right. Which is why the the question of of innocent life is is a bright line issue. Um, whereas the question of capital punishment for the guilty is not a bright line issue. Well, when you look at Catholic social teaching, the very first one is to defend life, right? I mean, that's kind of like the foundation, because if you skip that one, then all your other arguments kind of kind of fall away, right? They don't they don't hold any water because you've you've already given up defending the defenseless, as you were talking about. And now you're going off to, you know, subsidiarity or preferential option for the poor when the most vulnerable you've already given up on. Right. And, and I think when it comes to uh, lifting up the poor, which I think should be a Catholic priority uh, in public life, uh, you know, I think some people who are involved, very friends of mine that are involved in, in, in these kinds of ministries, come to the conclusion that the problems of welfare dependency are, in some instances, greater than the problems of deprivation. So there's a kind of moral spiritual uh, poverty, so to speak, that a, a very wealthy country like ours can create with its um, with its welfare system. And so that doesn't mean that we that we throw people on to the mercies of uh, you know, right. of 
of, uh, but it, it does mean we have to, we just can't assume that spending more money on these programs uh, is the Catholic thing to do. Um, it might be actually much more difficult, more intractable. And I think the Holy Father's emphasis on accompaniment is really important in this respect, with respect to the poor, that the moral and spiritual poverty of the poor um, is partly due to their isolation uh, you know, on the margins of society and not, as, not their material de- uh, deprivation. Well, you know, how many times does throwing money at a problem just fix it, right? It's kind of the easy thing to do, but to roll up your sleeves and accompany somebody, like you were saying that Pope Francis mentioned, you know, that takes effort. And, you know, if we really want to fix something, don't we need to put that effort in? And that that should be really what a politician talks about, not just telling people what they want to hear, but letting them know they have to roll up their sleeves and do something, right? When we're After every Mass, we're told to go, right? Go announce the gospel, Lord. Go you know, go in peace. We're called to go out there and live the faith, not just, hey, write a check and you're fine. I think you're absolutely right about that. And part of the spiritual poverty of our time, I think it's very severe. And I think Catholic politicians ought to, um, they ought to, they ought to be talking about how to reintroduce some kind of, I mean, we have a, we have the First Amendment, we have a disestablished, we have no establishment of religion. This is a very good tradition in our country. I'm entirely in favor of it. But we've really stripped the supernatural out of every aspect of public life. And so when Trump talked about restoring prayer to schools in the State of the Union, I'm not quite sure what he meant by that. But uh, the intuition is correct. Uh, I think Catholic politicians need to think about how to restore some sense of the transcendent horizon for young people. You know, maybe it's mandatory philosophy class in your senior year in high school. You know, it would not run afoul with these questions about which denomination or what have you, which religion you are. But I just think we need to save young people from being swallowed by a, you know, consumer mentality, you know, life all in terms of social media, uh, I worry that we're creating a society where young people are are being kind of abandoned um, to a very materialistic world. Yeah, and you know we we hear you know just in the current day and time in which we live, you know all this social distancing. Heck, we've been social distancing for a while now. When you're talking social media, I mean, there's studies out there that kids you know don't have friends or even adults, right? Their friends they think are people that are online, and you know we really do need Catholic politicians on both sides or either side or whatever side to come up and say, we're a communal people, right? We're not a people of isolation. Yeah. I mean, the key, the key term in Catholic social doctrine here is solidarity. And that's something I've been being a drum about for the last couple of years, because I think part of our political troubles in our society stem from a lack of solidarity or a diminution of our sense of solidarity, what we share as a people, you know, what we share with our neighbors, what we share with our, you know, in the state, city or state that we live in, and what we share with each other as a nation. These things need to be renewed and and strengthened so that people have a strong sense that they are part of a we, a, a, a common project, a shared love. Well, isn't 
you know, as we go through and try to evaluate candidates and we talk about, you know, not only what they say, but what they do. And hopefully the two match up. Unfortunately, most times they don't. Uh, you know, isn't some. Yeah, that's, that, by the way, that's yeah. very important. I think uh, um, one time I was at a forum and, and the fellow at the forum said, you know, you should not vote for just on the basis of what candidates say. You should also vote on a judgment about what they're likely to do, which, as you point out, are not the same as what they say. No, that, is that the definition of hypocrisy? Yeah, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> and we see that, yeah, all over the place. But at some point, you know, not only are we talking about Catholic politicians, but we're talking about Catholic voters. And we, as voters, have a responsibility to hold people to the truths. And if, you know, you're going to say, you know, I believe this, but I'm going to throw all my values out and just kind of govern, you know, kind of by the seat of my pants or what I think is going to get me votes. I mean, no one should get elected saying stuff like that, should they? Uh, I, I, I mean, you're, I think we're allowed to give leeway to the reality of democratic politics, which is that, you know, you downplay what you're worried the voters don't like and you play up what they think the voters do like. But as we know, there's a certain point where people cross the line, and they really are just trying to tell you what you want to hear, and they have no intention of following through on it. Yeah, and so I think that that speaks to an area that I think is really important. There's a difference between what I would call the virtues of leadership and and personal virtues. I mean, I believe in the unity of the virtues, which is that if you don't have them all, in some sense, you don't have any of them, or at least you don't have any of them in their fullness. But we all know people who are, you know, who, who maybe have like a very profound personal piety, but you wouldn't want that person to be head of the committee right, or, right. you know, running, running a Boy Scout. They just don't have leadership skills. Right. Not a gift and they've been so, given. Yeah. Yes. And, all, and it's also something that needs to be developed and, and trained. And, and so I, I think in this, in this area, um, this is why, you know, Winston Churchill was not an abstemious man, <laughs> as he famously said that it, when it was all said and done, he took more out of the alcohol than the alcohol took out of him. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I would not commend him to a young person in that regard. But in terms of civic courage and also the wisdom to say in moments of crises what needs to be said, he's really unparalleled. And so I think we need to distinguish that. So, so whether it's, uh, you know, again, I mean, sexual infidelity is another one. Franklin Roosevelt, you know, died basically in the bed of his mistress uh, in, in Warm Springs, Georgia, in 1945. Um, you know, he was not an exemplary husband by any stretch of imagination, but he had qualities of leadership that were exemplary. Um, and so I think that, you know, you, you want the total package, right? <laughs> right. But, but I think as a voter, I think Catholic voters, all voters, should vote for people who have the qualities and virtues necessary to be effective leaders uh, and not to vote for somebody who is a moral exemplar for their children necessarily, what have you. I mean, it's painful to vote for someone who you think is a bad example. And part of the problem about our time is everything's exposed by the media. Yeah. Um, but I, I just think that's really important. There are civic public virtues, leadership virtues, and one of them, as you pointed out, is honesty about actually 
campaigning on what you ha- on the way you intend to govern. Yeah, and I agree. I mean, in the end, you know, you could be you're the most virtuous person in the world, but if you can't run a lemonade stand out front, you know, I don't need you, you know, deciding major policy issues at a, at a level that you know is just going to get everybody in trouble because you have no idea what you're doing. So that does matter, I, and I totally agree. And also, uh, it's important to recognize that you're not choosing between the perfect and 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 something and the less than perfect. We're always choosing at the voting booth between uh, relative goods or probably more accurately, lesser evils, <laughs> you know, um, in many cases. Uh, and again, this is why I, I think it's it's uh, I have many friends who continue to vote Democrat and they argue that, yes, it anguishes them. They're pissed off about the way in which the Democratic Party's abandoned the pro-life cause. But on the whole dot, dot, dot. Uh, they think, you know, Democratic Party policies are best for the nation. Um, you know, I respect that. I think they're wrong. But uh, um, but that's because I'm a Republican. So I would think that, wouldn't I? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, as a Catholic, <laughs> and we have Catholics on both sides. I mean, at some point, there's got to be some some more, you know, some moral foundational issues like life, marriage. I mean, we have to protect religious liberty. I mean, there are some yes. foundational things that, you know, yeah, you can discuss immigration or minimum wage or those things, which are important, but not they don't rise to the level of, look, if these things go bad, then our society is going down the toilet. So we have to make sure that whether we're a voter or a politician, especially if we claim to be a faithful Catholic, that we have to adhere to these things and promote these things in the public square. I agree, and I think one of the one of the it's really essential that you know, and I hope some listeners uh, who are interested in politics, you know, we need democratic politicians, democratic party politicians who understand the importance of life and family, because we're not really going to make progress as a country in these matters unless it's bipartisan. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, we've seen... And Go ahead, so, what were you going to say? You know, I, when I was living in Omaha, Nebraska, teaching at, at, um, at Creighton, uh, I would always vote for Congress for anybody, a pro-life Democrat. Only, I didn't care about any of his other positions, but in two different occasions, I remember in 20 years, a Democratic candidate that was pro-life, I thought it would do more for the pro-life cause to have a pro-life Democrat in Congress than, than any other you know, any other thing I could do. And so I would be a single issue voter on that just because I felt it was just crucial that uh, we have pro-life Democrats so that we can, you know, hopefully overturn Roe v. Wade and and make progress in, in dismantling our very extreme abortion regime in the United States. Well, I guess then that, you know, kind of brings to mind, you know, how discouraging is it when you see a Catholic who pertains, proclaims to be faithful, who has basically thrown that preeminent issue, and we've heard it from all the way from popes all the way down, out the window just because. And so in the end, how are you really a faithful Catholic if, if the preeminent issue is something you've, you've given up on? And matter of fact, not only given up, you're, you're attacking. Correct. Yeah. Uh I agree. I find, like I said, I found I found it very demoralizing. That and also on the marriage issue, it's, I also find that very demoralizing. Um, that 
again, you know, I understand the reality of politics. You have to compromise. Coalitions are always, uh, you know, a kind of messy business. And so you, you hide your light under a bushel. You know, the Lord tells us that's not a good thing either. <laughs> no. But far worse to actually proclaim loudly and in public something that's, that's evil. I mean, uh, I, so I, I do, I find that um, uh, kind of incomprehensible. Uh, you know, we, we all know we, in our business places and work and so on, where we don't really say things on our mind because we're, we just don't want to, this is not the time and the place, you know, to get into a big fight. And politicians are, have that same quality, but it's a complete, we also know it's a completely different thing to sort of take the other side that we know to be wrong. Um, so yes, it's, uh, it is demoralizing. It's a sign of, uh, the difficult times in which we live, that's for sure. Yeah, and, you know, and you know, they try to massage it as, you know, we want to, you know, want to look out for the best interests of everybody, especially when it comes to religious freedom. You know, people saying, well, we need the Equality Act. We need things like that so that everyone is treated, treated fairly, when in reality, it's kind of a Trojan horse because religious liberty would disappear when those type of things get, if those type of things were to get passed. Uh, yes, uh, you know I, um, <laughs> I, I I couldn't agree more. I mean the the I mean the gay lobby in the United States is among the most powerful, if, if perhaps the most powerful, and you know gay couples are the wealthiest uh, statistically of any couple, category of couples in the United States, and to empower them with um, the full force of civil rights law. What was is going to be a, a social policy disaster? Yeah, and we could see. And it would be it yeah. would be it would be very dangerous for religious liberty. No question about it. Yeah, and it, you know it's a tsunami that that's why you know as as if you're listening and you're a, a Catholic, a faithful Catholic, these these issues matter. You have to really look at them. Uh, as Rusty was saying, you know, you just can't always go by what they say. You need to see what they're doing too. What are they promoting? And that t- go on their website. See what they're saying on their website. Look and see who's endorsing them. I mean, there's ways to find out other than, you know, getting your snippet from Fox or CBS or ABC or whatever. Yeah, yeah but I think that's some very important advice that people inform themselves about uh, what the candidates um, stand for. We often we have a kind of celebrity driven political culture. Everybody's Trump and whoever Trump's going to run against probably Biden. And it's very important. Local politics really matters. And what people in the local elections stand for, uh, it makes a difference for the next generation of national leaders.